While I was doing my research, the Collis family were always popping up all over the place, and that's because there are always letters of complaint about the Collis family from their neighbours. The large family of boys as they grew up were all part of the local gangs in the era of Collingwood's history and Melbourne's history, which was described as the Larrikin Push, so the old Larrikin street gangs of the era. I'm Jen Kelly, and this is In Black and White, a podcast about some of Australia's forgotten characters. Today we return for episode two in our five-part series called Larrikins and Laneways about the slumlords, slygrog sellers, gangsters and crooks who inhabited Melbourne's most notorious neighbourhoods. Back with us again is historian Michael Shelford, the creator and guide for Melbourne Historical Crime Tours, who spent more than 14 years researching our crime history and sifting through the contents of more than 400 boxes of old police files to piece together the stories of countless criminals. And just a reminder that we're shifting the podcast to Thursdays, so tune in to episode three of the Larrikins and Laneways series this Thursday, then every Thursday thereafter. Today's story is on the Collis family, who were a gigantic headache for Collingwood police from the 1880s to 1916. They owned three houses side by side in Perry Street. And the Collises were the main reason that part of Collingwood had the worst reputation in the suburb. Neighbours were always complaining to police of the noise, language and debauchery occurring sometimes 24 hours a day. The girls in the family helped run the sly grog business. The boys caused havoc in Collingwood as members of local larrikin gangs. The party was finally over in 1916 when the Collingwood Council conspired with police to have the houses condemned and pulled down. Now Michael Shelford's here to tell us more. Welcome back to the podcast, Michael. Thanks for having me again. So we're talking today about the Collis family. Why have you chosen the Collises for this episode? While I was doing my research, and I've spoken before about how many years I've been going through the original police files, the Collis family were always popping up all over the place. And that's because there are always letters of complaint about the Collis family from their neighbours. They're a large family, a lot of boys, quite a few few girls as well, and um, all pretty wild. So they're involved in sly grog, arguably brothels as well. Um, they're involved in playing illegal games such as two-up. And um, the large family of boys as they grew up were all part of the local gangs in the era of Collingwood's history and Melbourne's history where um, they were known to be something which was described as the larrikin push, so the old larrikin street gangs of the era. Now, they lived in Perry Street in Collingwood. Is it fair to say that this was one of Old Melbourne's most dangerous streets? It definitely was, and mostly because of the Collis family. So Perry Street in Collingwood runs parallel with Johnston Street, which is the main street of Collingwood. It runs on the city side of Johnston Street from Smith Street through to Hoddle Street, so the entire length of Collingwood in that direction. I believe that Perry Street was probably an access lane in the old days of Collingwood, but then it ended up becoming a street unto itself with with hotels and private residences, both sides of it. There there was one particular section of Perry Street that was worse than all the others, and it was the section that gave Perry Street such a bad name, and that was the section where the Collises were. Um, and it was a section of Perry Street which the police, to use a direct quote, actually called the most disorderly locality in Collingwood. Mm. Where did the Collis family originally come from? 
The first of the Collis family to arrive in Australia, and I'll call him the patriarch, um, his name is George Will- William Collis. And the first record that I came, came across of George William Collis was when he deserted the ship, and I'm, I'm quite sure that it was him, in the 1850s. And he was thrown in Pentridge for a period of time for deserting his ship. He settled in the Collingwood area and he became uh, a cab driver. He didn't have enough money to afford his own cab, so he had to hire a cab and be a driver for um, cab owners. Um, And there were quite a few court cases where he hadn't believed he hadn't been paid enough, etc. But he ended up working his way up from being a cab driver to being a licensee of a hotel so by 1874, he was the licensee of the Collingwood Arms Hotel on Johnston Street. And that hotel today is called the Bendigo Hotel. So it's a, a pub where um, there's lots of bands, very well-known hotel today. And um, he had the license of that hotel from 1874 to 1876. And what do we know about his personal life? He got married. He had a lot of children. When he was running the um, the hotel on um, on Johnston Street, which became the Bendico Hotel later, so the Collingwood Arms, there was a bit of tragedy for him, a great bit of tragedy. In 1874, he lost two children on the same day. So they were both infants at the time. One of them died at the age of three months, his daughter of whooping cough, and on the same day, his son, who was two years of age, died of measles. Mm, what a strange coincidence. I know, both on exactly the same day of completely different things, different ages, and you could tell by the advertisement in the newspaper where he was um, asked, uh, explaining that the funeral would be leaving from the Collingwood Arms Hotel. Um, you could even just tell in the way it was written just how much it knocked them about. Mm. And what about the other kids? How many were there? So those two that passed away were the fourth and the fifth of his children. So there are 11 children in total. Um, and nine of them survived infanthood. After a couple of years of running the hotel, he sold it off and um, he purchased three houses in the street behind the hotel on Perry Street. So they were numbers 96, 100 and 102. And um, on one side of the street, they took up a, a small block and that's where the Collis house resided. And from then on, he had his family living in one of the houses and he'd rent the other two houses out and live off the rent from that. So he was almost partially retired, apart from um, occasionally driving a, a, a cart for a carting business. He mostly just lived off the rent from those two houses. Mm. How old was he by now? So he was born in 1839 and that means... By 1876, what would he have been? He's 30. Still pretty young, yeah. Pretty young to be semi-retired. <laughs> yeah. So what would life have been like in Perry Street for the family, especially the kids? Well, um, Collingwood by that point of time was starting to get a, a reputation um, as a pretty wild area. Just a, on Johnston Street, just out the back of where their houses were, there was a, a place called the Collingwood Tote. And you may have heard of that before. Some of the listeners may have heard of somebody called John Wren, but there was a big illegal gambling 
venue on Johnston Street from the 1890s through until 1906 called the Collingwood Tote. And it was just a place where um, people went to put bets on the horses. In those days, it was illegal to place a bet anywhere but at the racetrack. And he gave people another option, which was just to put a, a bet on at his particular venue and um, and he'd pay out if you, if you won. The Collingwood Tote, received a lot of police attention. There were lots of um, cat and mouse games between John Wren and the police for 15, 16 years. During that period of time that he was running that, that area attracted a lot of Melbourne's criminals, um, not just to go into the tote, but just because that was the area that they all seemed to meet because the tote was there. And this is where the kids are being raised. So they're being raised in and amongst this. The other thing about Collingwood in um, from the 1880s onwards was that it was um, very notorious for its street gangs. Um, what I mentioned earlier, the larrikins, um, young um, hooligans that got around the street and used to try and tempt police into a fight. And, of course, large family um, young boys growing up in an area like that, they're going to get mixed up with their friends in the gangs. And did the Collars family have any involvement with John Wren and the Collingwood Tote? Well, they did because... There was a gang that all the, all the boys were part of. They used to hang around there. Um, there was a, a robbery that was done of the tote, and that's a, a very game thing for anybody to do because um, people who have studied that part of Melbourne's history would know that you didn't mess with John Wren. He was a very powerful man. But there was a, an instance where his tote was robbed, so somebody set it all up and then... Um, did a fake call at the police were doing a raid and everyone emptied out of the place and the place was robbed. Uh, I'm not sure which side the Collis boys were on, but there was an argument over that robbery in a nearby hotel and one of the Collis boys who was the head of the gang was watching a member of his gang losing a fight. He was known as the best fighter in the gang, so he stepped in to take the guy's place. Things got pretty nasty and they met up for a second fight the next day and he got shot in the arm. So things were getting quite serious for the Collis kids around that point of time. If we go back a little bit earlier, 1886, George William Collis, who was the namesake of the patriarch, exactly the same name, George William Collis, um, at the age of 16. He's a member of a larrikin gang and the gang takes over Victoria Street. So that's the street going, of course, between from Victoria Parade becomes Victoria Street and separates Richmond and Collingwood. And I'll, I'll read you an actual quote from the newspaper about what occurred. So it's 1886. George William Collis is only 16 years of age. And it says, uh, Last night, a party of larrikins and their female associates took possession of the pavement of the main thoroughfare between Richmond and Collingwood. They walked along arm in arm, sweeping ordinary pedestrians into the road, singing ribald songs and generally creating a disturbance. Constable Wilcott, who was on duty at the time, arrested some of them when immediately a fight ensued. Two young men, two girls, and the constable fell struggling in a promiscuous heap on the pavement. The constable underneath. At last, Constable Smith came to Wilcott's assistance, and three of the party, viz., Mary Ann Johnson, George Collis, and George Wallace, were conveyed to the lockup, a seedy, disreputable lot. <laughs> They were very colourful, the reports back then, weren't they? <laughs> yeah, they were. The gang. There used to be a footy team called Fernside. I hadn't heard of it until I was doing research for this. Um, but they were a very interesting football club, if you call them a club. There are a bunch of um, young fellows from Collingwood who put together a team and they'd 
um, play other similar teams from other suburbs. There weren't many that that many places for them to play that were available for a team that was not really an official team, but they were allowed by the Collingwood Council to play on the parkland that was right behind the Fitz, sorry the Collingwood Town Hall. The problem was that they caused all sorts of havoc. So there was vandalism happening, language, gang fights during the actual football games, and they ended up being banned. So they went on to explain that they went from being Fernside the football club to being Fernside another type of club. In other words, a gang. They became a, a larrikin push or a larrikin gang. And then they used to sit on the wall out the back of the Collingwood Town Hall, right near the field where they played so many games, talk footy, and they said they'd number up every night. So in other words, they'd count the numbers of their gang, usually up to around about 30. When asked why they numbered up, they said we just needed to work out how many police we could attack tonight safely. Numbering up was just a, a turn of phrase in that era for doing a head count. So they'd just turn up every night, there'd be a head count of the gang how many police can we attack tonight? There's 30 of us, I reckon we can take 10. And that's the way they viewed things. Mm -hmm. And were quite a few of the Collis boys in that gang? Most of the Collis boys were in that gang at various times. Um, as you'd expect with such a large family, they were spaced out over quite a, um, an age group. But they were still um, part of the Larrikin gangs right into their mid-20s, which is quite surprising. Um, things things turned a bit sour for the gang in 1898. Uh, Dyte Street, which is right nearby where the house was, uh, two of the Collis guys and a bunch of that Fernside gang were having a big, long drinking session. So there were, um, there were reports from neighbours that a bottle of gin was being passed around, etc., etc. Things were getting ugly, out of control. There was a guy in his 40s who was making his way home after doing a shift working at a local hotel and he was apparently sober but he got invited by them for a drink and he, he joined in and as things got ugly, he somehow ended up um, hitting his head against the bitumen of the road and dying. There were various witness reports that one of the Collis boys had taken a swing at him, hadn't connected, but the fright that he got from the swing caused him to fall backwards and hit his head. But they ended up carrying him and sitting him on a veranda and just leaving him there to recover. And the next day, he's still lying there on the veranda, but he's dead. Mm. Now, there's a crowd standing around, all in shock. The police have been called. And a man turns up and he goes, that's my brother. He bursts into tears and he races home to tell his mother. So he lived a couple of blocks away. And he went to his mother and he said, your son's dead. My brother's dead. I just saw him. And she wouldn't believe him at first. It took him a long time to actually talk her around. And eventually she accepted it. And she's grieving as well. When they, all get a, when they both get a terrible fright and the dead brother or dead son walks in. It wasn't him at all. Meanwhile, the police still haven't arrived and another man's walked up and broken his way through the crowd to have a look at what everyone's looking at. And he's looked at the dead man and he said, that's my brother. I can tell by the lump on the side of his face. My brother's got a lump that's exactly the same. He was completely unrelated to the um, original person that had identified their brother and he's raced off to tell his mum. But his mother's sat there and she's talked him around and said, I've just seen him 10 minutes ago. It can't be him. <laughs> and it's turned out to be some, someone completely different. <laughs> How strange. Yeah. 
So by now the Collars boys must have had a terrible reputation in the neighbourhood. Yeah, they did. So on, on that occasion, they were, they were lucky to um, to get away with they, – they weren't eventually even charged with manslaughter. Um, very, very fortunate because they'd taken their clothes away f- um, to check for blood and all sorts of things. But, yes, they were getting a terrible reputation. 1899 – in 1899 through until 1901, the police were doing what they called a police surveillance return. And that was just all the police in a local area were asked to list all the houses of bad reputation. So whether or not they be a, a sly grog shop, a brothel, a den of thieves, etc., And you had to list everyone that bad that was in your suburb. And the Collises were listed, of course. And the 1899 police surveillance report for the Collises house at 96 Perry Street said the character of the keeper of the house, George W. Collis, so that's the patriarch, was bad and that the house was frequented by his sons, George, Richard, Charles, Arthur and Alexander Collis, and they were all convicted thieves. And tell us about how the Collis boys ran games of two up for a while. Yeah, so I'm sure everyone's heard of the game of two up, a, a popular old Australian game, which is only um, legal to be played on Anzac Day these days. And it's a very simple game. It's very portable. All, all it takes is tossing two coins in the air and people bet whether you're going to get two heads or two tails. Very popular back in that era as well. And the Collis boys used to run what they used to call a two up school. So that was just a, a, a two up game. And it was a regular game, and they used to play it at Dites Falls, so right down near the Yarra River in, in Collingwood. But when the police would turn up, they'd cross across the bridge and they'd be playing it in queue instead, in the park in queue. They were actually fined uh, on four occasions by the police, and it was difficult to get enough evidence to find them. So they were doing it constantly, and they didn't care. They were just paying the fines. Yeah, so as soon as they see the police, they clear clear over the bridge into queue, um, knowing that the, the Collingwood um, police didn't really have any jurisdiction there. Um, the parkland was also more open there as well, so it was it was difficult to actually get enough evidence to get close enough to them to actually catch them playing because they'd have um, spotters around the place watching for police as well. Hey, I'm Felicity Harley and I host Healthy-ish, where we chat to experts, influencers and people in the know from around the globe to arm you with the knowledge to make healthier decisions for your mind, body and soul. I think if we're going to be focusing on health, like sleep is probably the biggest component of that. I I think sleep is the cornerstone. Like choose the harder option because I've never woken up and gone, I regret that run that I went at 4am. I've never done that. Search for Healthy-ish and Extra Healthy-ish wherever you get your podcasts. So was the father aware of all the criminal activity that the boys were up to? Yeah, he was. And and in some ways he and the and other members of the family were almost complicit in their bad behaviour. And one example is that in 1908 the police had decided the Collis boys were so out of control they charged two of them with vagrancy. So being charged with vagrancy means that you're not making a lawful living. You're living off crime. You you don't have a job and any money that you're spending is made um, from unlawful activity. So you're a criminal. So both Charles Collis and George Collis, so that's George Jr., uh, have turned up at court. But on both occasions in 1908, their father, 
George Senior has turned up and testified saying, look, I'll give, give them free food and board. They don't need money. Their sisters turned up and said, well, actually give them pocket money to live on on top of that. And so the judge was left with no choice but to find them not guilty. But one of the judges actually said of Charles Collis, he said, he has a very bad character. He's a disgrace to his family, himself and humanity. What do we know about the, the matriarch of the family, George Senior's wife? She she generally kept fairly quiet. Um, she didn't really make the news very much. She must have known what was going on, but she actually passed away at the age of 70 in 1912. And I think she must have had some sort of a steadying influence because things seemed to go really downhill after that. So what was the family's involvement with the brothel industry at that time? There were claims in complaint letters that those houses on Perry Street were being run as brothels, but the police would usually just say in their report, no, they're not brothels, they're sly grog shops. They may be frequented by people who work in that industry, but um, there's none of that type of business happening within their houses. But Charles Collis, one of the boys, ended up um, marrying somebody called Rachel Tyndall. And Rachel Tyndall is somebody else that I've come across a lot in my research. She was a very well-known brothel keeper in downtown Melbourne over decades and decades. And when he married her in 1912, she was 17 years older than him. And they took, both um, took up the lease of a shop on Lonsdale Street and started selling sly grog. And it was described in a 1915 police report. They said, 56 Lonsdale Street, a house kept by a woman named Rachel Collis, a noted sly grog shop and a harbour of thieves and prostitutes. And the rest of the boys were all selling sly grog back in Perry Street, were they? Yeah, and, and that really took off firstly after uh, the death of their mother, and when World War One came along. So I've, I've mentioned previously in other podcasts that World War One had a huge impact on the sly grog industry because they had reduced licensing hours. So six o'clock closing came in, and the result of that was that there was a lot of people looking for drinks outside of licensing hours. And so their place at Perry Street being known as a place you could always get a drink was always being frequented by, by soldiers, uh, sailors uh, and people from the general district. Tell us more about the complaint letters that you mentioned earlier. Okay, so um, the letters really started coming in thick and fast during World War One when the sly grog was taking off at their place at Perry Street. This is a great letter. It's in 1915 that was signed by Rate Payer. So that was the person's name and it was directed to Sergeant in Charge. Sir, I desire to draw your attention to a place in Perry Street known as Collis's. It is a dis- disreputable place frequented by abandoned women and very low men. Now, sir, it is well known by the children in the street that it is a sly grog shop. It has not been going on for weeks but for years, and it is carried on so openly that we residents in the locality are wondering if they have a special permit to do as they choose. It appears our legislators recently passed an act curtailing the hours of hotel keepers and it does seem absurd when a place like this can sell drink with impunity and amongst their customers are young soldiers. Only on Sunday last there was disgraceful scenes in the street. Two drunken women were fighting, one being Collis or Burns, and the language was terrible just as the children were returning from Sunday school. Now, sir, we are disturbed at all hours of the night, and as we have to pay rent and taxes, I object most strongly as I am often unfit to go to work through my rest being broken. 
Such a place would not be tolerated in any other suburbs 24 hours. As I am writing this, there are men and women with bottles in their shirts and paper parcels with beer rolled in them. It must be a very profitable game considering that they receive a profit of about 200%. Now, sir, I trust you will put a stop to this den of infamy and I am informed that the daughter is the call bird and the old man the publican. Surely the police must be aware of what I am writing. If not, they know now and I expect them to act. Signed, Ratepayer. Then 5th of June. Dear Sir, can we not have something done to this dreadful woman by the name of Dwyer? I should state that Dwyer was the um, married surname of one of the daughters of Dwyer. And that dirty, filthy old father... I am sure that they would not last five hours in any other part of the globe. It would be an act of charity to take that girl they call Polly O'Dur and lock her up for her own sake as there will be murder there one of these days and it won't be long. It is something dreadful since the first thing this morning and the language is frightful. She ought to be put among the Germans and that would be too good for the likes of her. The police here seem frightened of her and the gang that goes out of there all Sunday is shameful. Women and men from everywhere, dirty, low-down, filth, you can call them, nothing else. So I think it is time they were shut down and set fire to the house and all in it, trusting you will send someone like a man to see it as I am sick of telling them at Collingwood and they take no notice of these reports. Last Saturday, one old man got his head cut open and Polly, as they call her, was nearly killed and we have put up with this till the early hours in the morning while they can sleep all day. Yours, respectable mother of six little ones. P.S. Hope you will see to this at once as I think you ought to know as the name of Collis is enough. 24th of February 1916 by Anonymous. Sir, once more I wish to draw your attention to the Collis family and can you do nothing to stop their disgraceful conduct that is going on there? It has been something shocking for the last three weeks, every night till the small hours in the morning and the language is the worst you could hear in the worst part of this city and I don't think you could hear as bad. It would be a charity to put the old, dirty old band away and burn the hovel down. The dirty, filthy women, old and young, that get there must come from every part of the town, and not only being a dirty low house, it is a sly grog shop, and it is an ant bed for drunken soldiers. A cabload of men came at 12 o'clock on Monday night, and the row was shocking, cursing and swearing, and that dirty low woman they call Mrs Dwyer and her sister Mrs Thornton ought to be tarred and feathered and set on fire. They are a disgrace to womanhood and what those children must see in here must be frightful. We rang up the police but no one made an appearance. The fact is they are frightened of the bad crowd that get there and the only way to get rid of them is to condemn the dirty old house. There is not a window in the place back or front and a standing disgrace to the street. So I don't know how they are allowed to carry on like they do. As a friend of mine said, they would not last in Windsor one hour. I don't know how they can carry on all day Sunday from six o'clock till late at night. Men and women carrying bottles and half drunk and some all drunk and at one shilling a, a bottle for beer. So you see, that is how they live and soldiers drunk about the place singing and then finish up with a fight. So I hope you will do your best to stop this. Being in my own place for the last 60 years and having brought up a family, I can't get out of it or I would. We can't have a night's rest. I'm going to write to Dr. Robertson, the health officer, to see what he will do to have the old places pulled down, as it is no good to write to the officers of Collingwood, as they take no notice of what you send in about them, and it's frightful to think 
Uh, you have this sort of people to put up with every Sunday and every day. You might just have a look at the outside of the house without going inside. They must be huddled up together like rats. The old yard is just a rat hut. And they run in there and they think the police are about and they know every turn about them. So I hope you will stir things up and make a raid on this place. Some Sunday about 11 or 12 and you will get a fine lot of dirty old women and beer and oblige an old ratepayer of 60 years. <laughs> They're very entertaining letters. Now, <laughs> I'm assuming that the police could not possibly have ignored complaints like this. Did they raid the Sly Grog premises? The, the letters worked. So they, they actually tried for years and years and years to, to, um, to bust them but they were a bit too wise to it. But they ended up um, employing a fle- what they used to call a sly grog detective, and it was a female from out of town, um, and she managed to actually purchase bottles of beer off them with marked money. Then they raided the place, and because the marked money was on the premises, there was enough evidence to have them convicted in court. So um, both George Collis Sr. and his daughter Jane Dwyer, knee Collis, received large fines. So, yeah, it actually it, the letters worked. Um, as a, a result of them being busted, uh, Sergeant Chrisfield, Chrisfield actually, I'll start again, as a result of them actually being busted and fined, the local police sergeant was very impressed with the undercover work. He, he mentioned that they'd never been able to be um, caught before um, and he was very impressed with the work that they'd done. And did this bring to an end the Sly Grog operation? Well, not quite, but almost. So as a result of all of the letters, the um, the police actually started to really hound the Collis place. So they, they were hanging around outside the place all the time. They started, they were making them feel uncomfortable and they actually even started um, fining both the Collises and visitors, even for using bad language in their own yard. So they're trying to make things as uncomfortable as possible. Um, that didn't seem to be working either. So the police started to communicate um, more regularly and more directly with the Collingwood Council about the problem. And the Collingwood Council um, promised to send the sanitary inspector to do an inspection of the Collis's houses. And that was with the idea that if they were as bad as the police said, those houses would be condemned by the council and demolished. And that was successful, was passed at the council meeting. Do the houses end up being demolished? Yes, they're actually um, demolished in March 1917. In January of 1917, Sergeant Selwood had said, on the 4th of December 1916, the house was condemned by the Collingwood Council and at their last council meeting, 30th of January 1917, it was decided that the house be at once pulled down. It should be... It should put a stop to complaints in the locality and I presume start complaints by neighbours where Collis again settles. I hold the original file regarding complaints in this matter awaiting removal of the premises. So, yes, it was demolished several um, months after that, March 1917, and the land was sold to somebody to construct a boot factory. And I understand that the building on that land there now covering that same spot is the boot factory that was built to replace their buildings. Okay, and what happened to the Collises? Well, um, the police report about constructing the boot factory stated that Albert Collis had moved to East Melbourne, Jane Dwyer had moved to Bedford Street, Collingwood, George Collis Sr. was still at Perry Street. He was looking after what remained of the buildings until lower sold off. But after that, they were kind of scattered to the winds, but the winds only went as far pretty much as Collingwood and Fitzroy. George Collis Sr. and his son, George Collis Jr., both moved to a house at Fleet Street, which is another very notorious laneway, um, one in, in Fitzroy. 
and they were running sly grog there. They were busted in raids in 1920 and fined again. George Collis Sr. ended up dying in 1926. Um, George Collis Jr., three years later, He's um, in all sorts of trouble because he's become addicted to drinking methylated spirits. So he had a very sad end to his life. He was in and out of prison most of his life. One of the other boys, Arthur Collis, in and out of prison right up until 1940 for robberies, etc. Um, Charles Collis, well, he didn't seem to have any um, uh, prison records after he um, hooked up with Rachel Tyndall. So he had a lot of money. So even though they were caught a few times for sly grog, I think he um, he didn't really need to resort to crime because the money was there. And do you know what Perry Street Collingwood is like today? Perry Street Collingwood today, as you walk down the hill, fairly quiet. You go along past the rear of some of the famous pubs along there, so you go down past the Toad Hotel, the Bendigo Hotel, etc. On your right-hand side, as you get down to where the Colises are, you've got the start of the government housing estate is on your right-hand side there, so that fills in quite a bit of it. But it's just a fairly quiet street today. There's still a couple of houses, a couple of the old houses on there, but not very much action happening. Could you sum up the tale of the Collis family for us? Well, they certainly made things in um, that section of Collingwood very lively and entertaining. And I guess depending on whether or not you're going there to have a beer and a, a fun time or whether you're one of the neighbours um, having to put up with other people going there to have a beer and a fun time, they are either good or bad, I suppose. But they are, they are definitely colourful. And I, I'd imagine that the, with such a big family, there'd be a lot of their descendants around today. So I hope they're not offended by the way that I've represented the, um, the family way back then. But I, I very much enjoyed researching them. Okay, let's hope that we hear from some of them. And thanks again for another wonderful story, Michael. Thanks, Jen. Thanks for listening to Episode 2 of our five-part series on larrikins and laneways. Remember the podcast is shifting to Thursdays, so tune in to Episode 3 this Thursday, then every Thursday thereafter. If you want to learn more about today's story, you'll find a link to a story and photos in the show notes or go to heraldsun.com.au forward slash I-B-A-W to go to the In Black and White page where you'll find all our podcast stories exclusive to digital subscribers of The Herald Sun. In Black and White is written and hosted by me, Jen Kelly, produced by John T. Burton and edited by Andrea Tees Evanson. If you enjoyed this podcast, we'd love you to give it a five-star rating on whatever platform you're listening on. Even better, leave a review to help us get the word out to more listeners. Or if you have questions or comments, please let me know by email at inblackandwhite at heraldsun.com.au. Any clarifications or updates to the stories will appear in the show notes for each episode. And to get notified when each new episode comes out, make sure you subscribe to the podcast feed. doesn't have to be boring. The Brits have given Prince Harry a new nickname after yet another tell-all interview. Oh, God, is it the ginger winger? <laughs> Let the team at news.com.au get you up to speed each day with their podcast from the newsroom. A couple were busted joining the Mile High Club. Well, I guess they can't fly virgin anymore. Politics, sport, red carpets, royals. Get all the goss in just a few minutes. Follow from the newsroom wherever you get your podcast from. <laughs> <laughs>